I'm Lige. I'm Kohana. And, and this, this is Straight Ahead. Welcome back to another episode of Straight Ahead. We've been doing one episode a week, so we're dropping back in your feeds this week for a special episode, and we'll be back again next Monday for even more. This week, we're sitting down with 3D sweetie and legend Julian Glander. This episode is a big one. It's our first time recording with everyone in person, post-vaccination and immunization. We're all sitting cross-legged around my coffee table, hanging out on this rainy Sunday, and it all feels very unreal. So to start us off, Julian, um, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your work? Okay, sure. Um, My name is Julian Glander. I'm a 3D artist. I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And um, I have been working in uh, Blender for about six years now, and I make uh, illustration, animation, uh, comics, and (laughs) uh, I recently released a video game called Art School with a Q. Well, oh, yeah. yeah, we got to talk about art school, but uh, of all those like different mediums that you dabble in, do you have a favorite? I think the the one that I like feel most centered in is probably illustration because I've been okay. doing it forever, and it all kind of comes out of that. Like, um, but I I like to rotate. I think like the the dream life for me would be to just be on a constant cycle of projects where I would do a video game and then a book and then some sort of short animation and then get back to video games after a couple years being away from right. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Do you prefer independent work then just like generally or? Yeah. I, um, well, I've never, I haven't really done too many projects where I have like a big team under me. Mm-hmm. I've, I'm a detail obsessive person. So it's like, I'm, I'm really granular. And if I know how to do something, I would rather do it myself. Right. Yeah. To a we fault. can both relate to that. I think, <laughs> I think that's like the indie animation thing. Yeah, it's of the DIY thing, like just just doing it, and then it's like hiring someone to do something is you can get some amazing results, but you you don't really learn anything. You learn yeah. how to be a manager, which fucking sucks. Like an art director. You learn how to be an over the shoulder guy. Yeah, but that's what I actually thought I was going to be doing with my career when I started out. Oh. I thought I was going to be, I thought I would have like a really easy job at an ad agency being creative director. Mm-hmm. Like, did you ever work in an ad agency? I did an internship at one when I was at school in Boston. And then when I moved down to New York, I got a job at this couple had started an ad agency in their house. <laughs> and it was, it was great. It was amazing. <laughs> But there was nothing for me to do. Were you working, like, out of their house? I was working in their house, yes. <laughs> it was, like, two ex-advertising people. It was, like, during the recession. They okay. were, like, we're going to go off and do our own thing. We're going to do advertising our way. <laughs> like, it was really cool. I just hung around. I walked their dog. I watched their kids. Uh, that sounds amazing. It was I actually learned, like, everything. That was my only kind of job that I had. Mm-hmm. It was right out of school. I worked there for about a year. And I, I just learned a lot about, like, running a lean business. And then I went and started doing my own thing after that. Nice. Were you doing like any blender at that point? Uh, that's let's see. I worked in I worked at that place 2011 to 2012, and then I think I first got Blender on my computer a year later. Okay, cool. And I was like, yeah, the first time I used Blender, it was like I was just messing around one night, at like three in the morning. Uh, I had seen like I don't know if you guys know Jordan Spear, right? His work, and I was like, oh, 
so wanted to do that. But I just like, at that time I was messing around with a lot of different things. Right. Like mm -hmm. I was playing music and writing and shooting live action stuff with my friends. And uh, Blender was just like, I, I didn't think it was gonna be like my thing that I was gonna do for the next decade at all. And it took me a long time to even come around to it. Cause right. it's kind of hard. I started with Blender um, and it like totally turned me off from all 3D. But the, all the other ones are even worse. <laughs> well, I, I like, then switched to Cinema 4D and I was like, oh, there's a button to make a cube here. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, and, you gotta press A to get you know, the cube. Yeah, yeah I, was like, I, I was like, nice, you know. I like this. And then I switched back to Blender to do, like we were talking in our last episode, I switched back to Blender to do some game design stuff recently. And yeah. it's just like a completely different program now. Mm. Oh, they, they beefed it up. Oh yeah. They it's juiced like, it like crazy. It's incredible now. Like, oh my God, it's like cocaine. <laughs> But it's it's funny because it's like, honestly, they're all the programs in three D are pretty much the same. Like they're yeah. like, and it, whichever one you know how to do is the best one to use. Right. Jaron Braxton told me he was like, I think of three D as like playing a game. Like I just open up Blender and it's like I'm playing a video game, and it's like the same as Minecraft or right. something else. And it's like you're just just clicking around. <laughs> And, uh, and having fun with it. Uh, before we go any further, yes, I do want to thank our sponsors today. Of course, uh, I, I went ahead and picked up some sponsors. Oh, beautiful! Right. Yeah, so we got uh, whether you're whether you're watching cartoons morning or night, Eggland's best are the eggs that you are gonna crack open. So we want to thank Eggland's <laughs> best for sponsoring this episode. Uh, and I would be I probably would be talking about Eggland's best even if they weren't sponsoring us. Uh, they're great. They're great. <laughs> they're yeah. No, they really the are. They're not egg. just Eggland's best. They're the best eggs. Okay. Well, I guess circling back a little bit. Yeah. Um... Let's go ahead and circle back. <laughs> Could let's you... circle back to reality to, for to a second. <laughs> to egg. Oh, because there's Hollandaise. There's Benedict. There's <laughs> all these different types of eggs. And then you, that's just the one ingredient. Then you add in a uh, cream of tartar. You've got a... You know, a meringue. We're talking dish now. Like, yeah, we're getting to. Well, yeah, you're you're almost at a dish at this point. <laughs> um, could you talk to us about art school? Yeah. Uh, you know, congratulations on the Nintendo Switch premiere. Thanks. Happy to be um, here. But yeah, we were just wondering if you could talk a little bit about this project, uh, like what it involved, how you made it, um, you know, the gameplay. Sure. So Art School is an art school simulation video game. Uh, you play as a character who's starting out at art school named Froshman. Uh, and the structure of the game is that there's a neural network professor who generates assignments for you uh, and, and then grades them. And so you're given a drawing pad and you explore the campus and collect drawing tools uh, to make art and then have it uh, assessed by some of the most advanced artificial intelligence ever. Um, and it is, it's, well, I didn't go to art school. So a lot of it, I went to school for communications. Mm. So, but so a lot of it is sort of like, it's based on just this, this idea that I have of what art school is or what it could be, where it's just like a nurturing incubation space where you're given sort of like just enough limitations and feedback to keep going and, and be developing on your own. And I think, yeah, so the game's been out for two years. I think I was working on it for about a year before it came out. Uh, and it started as a couple different projects. Okay. Um, I was working on, I was trying to write like a script for a feature film. And 
I started writing about this girl who had a missing dog. And then there was a scene where she's drawing a missing dog poster. And then I ended up thinking, well, what if it was a game? And then I started developing a prototype where you're drawing a poster for the dog. And then I thought, well, this is actually the best thing. And so the whole game came out of that. Oh, cool. And So, um, like, the UI drawing element. The, 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 the mechanic of drawing was the central thing that ended up having the whole game built around it. Cool. Mm-hmm. And I worked with uh, my developer who I've worked with on a bunch of projects named Eugene. Uh, that's all I really know about him is that his, he's Eugene. <laughs> He's, uh, he's so cool. I, I met him, I hired him for another project when I was first starting doing programming stuff, probably 2014 or 15. I made an interactive music video for this band called Celestial Shore, and I hired him to do the code for it. Okay. And at the time, I think he was like 15. Uh, and he, he's really evasive about, he never wants to do press, he never wants to answer questions about himself. If I ask, like, what's new with you, what's going on in your life... I'm not getting a response on that from him. <laughs> uh, but he's great. He's, he, um, and he gets the job done. He's just Eugene. He's just Eugene. And it could not, it could be like not even one guy. It could be like. A team? It could be AI. You don't it even could know, be yeah, team. you don't even know if Eugene's could human. Be Russian operative. They could be put, you know, they could be putting spy shit in the game. I wouldn't even know how to find it in the code. Um, but it was. Yeah, he's great, and I so I made a little prototype for him in Game Maker, uh, oh, cool. and then he turned it into the full-fledged 3D game. Was that using Game Maker or then Unity? He did it in Unity. Okay, cool. Yeah. It wasn't your first game, though. No, it wasn't. Um, I remember playing Lovely Weather. We're having, you know, back in the day. Oh, you're an old head, aren't you? about, what kicking rocks. <laughs> um, but how was that game different from art school like what did you learn from that process and how was art school informed by the making of that game i so i put out lovely weather having in 2015 and i i took so long to get back into the world of games and i kind of never thought i would do it again but i guess like i guess what i really learned was like when you put out something that's a little bit like bigger than an illustration or a gif like when you put out something like a short film or a feature film or a, a book or whatever, it can really stick around for a long time. Mm. Like, there's even people now still that are buying Lovely Weather We're Having as it's almost six years old. That's crazy. And so, like, I, I wanted to take art school a little more seriously, like, and spend more time on it. Because my MO in working on a lot of stuff is just to toss it. Like, just to work on it in one session and put it online and then move on to the next thing. Uh, but... Yeah, so with art school, I was like, let me slow down. Especially after I announced it on Twitter and there was, like, some interest in it. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I just, like, I think, like, as I'm continuing to refine my career, the biggest thing that I'm trying to learn is, like, patience. And not just putting something out right when I feel like I'm tired of working on it for the day. Mm. Um, When I put the art school trailer out, it had a song in it. And people, like, that that actually seemed to be the only thing people liked, was the song. <laughs> or, like, it was the only thing anyone really commented on. So I went back in and I wrote some more music that wasn't originally going to be in the game. And so when you play through it, there's a number of cut scenes mm-hmm. starring Froshman singing with the Vocaloid. And um, and there's a, there's a little bit of a story built out of that. Could you talk a little bit about music and song because you it's also like a big part of like it is a big part yeah of, of your stuff so like i said I've been, 
I never thought I would be doing 3D. And when I was younger, I thought I would be a musician. Like I played in bands oh, in shit. high school. When I originally moved to New York, it was to play in a band with my friends. Mm. Uh, what kind of music? Yeah. Oh God. It was like bad post-punk. Like, like this was, I was, I was really crossing my fingers for ska, but we'll take, we'll no, take I'm like, I'm between ska generation. <laughs> this was the, this was 2011 when I moved here. This was the height of, oh, of man. 285 Kent, uh, Death by Audio, <laughs> Dive is playing a show every night, Beach Fossils is playing a show every night. So that was the kind of music we were doing. Uh-huh. Uh, cool. And it didn't, it like didn't go anywhere, obviously. <laughs> But as a failed musician, I am bringing I want to hear it now, though. <laughs> nah, nah. As a failed musician, I'm bringing that into uh, my praxis into all the, the time. Art. But again, it's like, it's like once, you, once you have like the rudimentary skill set of something, it's so hard to let someone else do it. Uh, I'll tell a story about working with David Camp. Yeah, it was like please. legend. Please. You know, you guys probably have seen yeah. a million short films that he's... If anyone's listening and they don't know... He did the audio for your favorite short film, for sure. He's, like, the king. Um, so we had met uh, in Berlin a few years ago, and we had talked about working on something together, and I was making a short film called Sky Baby, and I thought... He, 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 like, he emailed me, like, the exact day I was, like, finishing it up, and was like, do you have anything that I could do music for? So I said, sure, do music for this. He was like, do you have anything you want to sound like? And I, go, I was like, oh, I want it to... Like, I want it to be really airy and hazy and dreamy. Like, I want it to kind of sound like My Bloody Valentine. Okay? So he goes away for a little while. He comes back. He had... I think he had watched the horror movie, My Bloody Valentine. Oh, no! <laughs> and so he sent me, like... He sent me, like, scary music. Like, it was, like... It was, like... But it was, but it was also, like... That's it took so me a sweet. while to figure it out because it was... It was in the world of what I was looking for, but then it was, like, scary. It was, like... And that's um <laughs> and David. No, he's the best. And then we ended up we, he ended up doing some revisions to it. I, <laughs> but like some of the some of that scariness did stay in the DNA of it. Okay, which is which is cool. <laughs> it's a it's a interesting it's serendipitous. Yeah. Um but it's you know, in animation, I think a lot of animators underestimate how much control sound designers have over how people feel about the movie mm. it's like oh totally it, i think within the first couple of seconds of watching a short film the sound design tells you how to watch it basically yeah uh at what point in production then do you start thinking about sound it's different for each thing um like the stuff i do for adult swim is like music driven mm-hmm. so i will usually write a song or at least write lyrics out as I'm like developing the world visually. Uh, and then there's other things like, um, like with art school, it was slapped on at the end. Mm-hmm. But then with, you know, with my shorts, it's, it's usually the beginning thing. It happens before the animation and I'll animate to the music and voice acting. Right. Yes, I think like, I think early on is better because you know you're gonna have to do it. Yeah. 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 Do you ever do like animatics? Is that, and like storyboard things happen? O- often, when I've done something that is like could be considered animatic, mm-hmm. that's that's kind of enough for me. Like that's enough to be finished product for me. <laughs> like I think like a lot of the stuff, a lot of the short stuff that I've done would be maybe considered animatic by a different animation studio. But famously, in my in my mind, I'm famous was like I can't I hate storyboarding. I like um, 
I just, I can't get into it. I've never been much of a drawer. Mm -hmm. I grew up thinking that I couldn't draw, which stopped me from thinking of myself as an artist until I was like 25. And I, I know it's so important, but I like, I can't bring myself to waste the energy on it. No. I went to school initially for communication design because I thought I couldn't draw. This happens to people all over the world. They're told that they can't be an artist because they don't do this one they can't follow Wonder. this one set of instructions. Or like they don't like, keep a sketchbook or something yeah, and they're not, yeah. Oh my you know. god. <sighs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I used to like to draw as a six or seven year old kid. Mm -hmm. And then I, I had a lot of that kind of beaten out of me, you know, through the course of middle school and high yeah. school. And then in college, I'd left it all behind, you know, and just never thought about visual art. So what brought you back in? Uh, so at the first job that I was working at, this is the ad agency. At the ad agency, okay. we were hiring illustrators, and I, I was just, I was just really jealous. It's, <laughs> it just, and I, it seemed like a really easy job. You know, it, it seemed like they were getting a lot of money, which, right. looking at it now through the lens of like having lived in the world for a while, they weren't. You know, <laughs> um, and I, I, when I moved to New York, I started meeting people who were really doing things that I'd never heard of. You know, I didn't even like know you could have an animated gift studio or like do sculpture or like anything for a living. Cause growing up, like, you know, meeting adults in the music scene or whatever, like in Tampa, Florida, I met really cool artists who were doing cool stuff. And then they were like, they worked at like the IMAX, you know, mm. like this one guy who I really looked up to was like an amazing visual artist and he was a projectionist at IMAX. So Sick. I kind of, so I kind of thought like, oh, maybe one day I'll work at the IMAX and then like, I'll have my little, I'll, I'll write for the onion on the side or something <laughs> like, uh, so, so basically to back it up, I'm like, I'm all out of order here because I actually <laughs> am forgetting a crucial detail in my life. Which, Which is, is that I started doing illustration on threadless t-shirts in the 2000s. Now they're like a print-on-demand site. But what it used to be was everyone would submit t-shirt designs and the community would vote on them. Kind of like an Everpress situation? Yeah, basically. Ah. And so once a week they would choose five or six of the designs from the community and print them on t-shirts. And they would send the designer like a check for like $2,000. And so I, in, in high school, I started doing those and I, I got, I sold a bunch of shirts to them. And like, to me, that was like, the, I was like, I'll never have to work again. Like I got, you know, I got, I'm 17. I got a check for $2,000. Uh, I'm done. It was, it was, I didn't know what to do with it. And, and even from, from having my shirts on Threadless in high school, I would like, I had started working with ad agencies. Uh, and like, I did a t-shirt that was the uniform for the waiters and waitresses at Chili's <laughs> they had found me and hired me to do that and then it was like I went to Chili's with my friends and, and everyone was wearing the t-shirt and no one believed me what if we checked out Chili's tonight guys <laughs> you know what if we just it's kind of t-shirt weather what if we just went over to Chili's and saw what was going on and so I, I was doing that in high school and I like when I, when I went to college and started studying communications, creative writing, advertising, I just kind of forgot about it. And mm -hmm. I, I kind of left it alone for a few years and then ended up coming back to it. Then went to a Chili's. And then I went to a Chili's and they had gotten someone else to do the shirts. And that's no! when I knew. And that's when I knew. 
You're only as good as your last tea in this business. Oh, man. Um, well, we're definitely curious, like, how you arrived at your style that you have now. Um, and we're just, like, wondering how you started to utilize, like, primitives in your work. Okay, And the role sure. that they play and how your earlier work differs from the work you're doing now with a full, like, really crazy complex scene built up of smaller individual components. That is exactly right. That's why I am always talking about Legos. Right. Because it's the same <laughs> thing. It's like there's DNA to it. Um, so the early work that I... Or, like, pre-anything, pre uh, like, as a kid and in my early 20s, the artwork that I was making was from, like, trace stock photos or, like finding stuff on Google Images and manipulating it. And, like, there's so many limits to that, obviously, because it's, like, right. if you can't find the right pose, you have to change. <laughs> uh, and I'm not a technically sophisticated person. Uh, so I was walking around Union Square, mm. and I just graduated college, and one of my professors had given me a Barnes & Noble gift card. So I went to the Barnes & Noble in Union Square, and I was looking around, and I found this book called Make a World by Ed Emberley which is, I don't know if you're familiar, it's like a kid's drawing book. It's a kid's step-by-step -step instruction book okay. uh, for drawings. And it'll be like, make a fire truck. And it shows you, you take a rectangle, and then you add two circles, and then you do another rectangle here, and you have a fire truck. Mm -hmm. And like the first page of the book is like an intro to the whole thing, and it basically says like, if you can draw these five shapes, or ten shapes or whatever, those are your classic shapes, you can draw anything in the world. And that was like, even though I was an adult man and that was like a kid's thing, it was like I had never seen that before and it it unlocked everything for me in what my brain. What led you to even pick up that book? I just liked the way it looked. <laughs> I just liked the colors. We judge books by their covers here. Well, that's the th I think with anyone's, any creative person's life, it's like it's all completely happenstance, you know? Oh, totally. Things yeah. that end up really defining you and being really important to you you could have just as easily missed it. You know, you could be flipping through TV channels and see a movie that's going to change your life, or you could flip right past it because it's a Geico commercial. You know, like, yeah, so it's like, it's kind of crazy because I'm not sure I would have gotten into 3D if it weren't for that. I think this was a total freak accident. Oh, but man. so then how did you even possibly make the connection from this children's book to the world of digital 3D? So before I was doing 3D, around the same time, I was doing 2D and copying uh, a lot of the big 2D illustrators who were really popular at the time, mm -hmm. uh, like Jeff McFetridge. And um, like, I love like Dave Shrigley. Mm -hmm. Like like a lot of the people that pulled me in uh, were people that made it look like it was like not very hard to be an illustrator. Like there was, they had this kind of like slackerness to them where it's just like, oh, it's just like a little stick figure guy, but it's perfect. Yeah. And but so then you you picked up 3D and you realized that And that was you know. boom. Okay. <laughs> Another big thing though is I I was I was starting to do jobs. I was starting to try to get my stuff like written about on design and illustration blogs. Mm -hmm. Uh I was starting to get clients and I had a call with a client who was like, "Oh, we saw you had your you have 2D stuff and 3D stuff on your portfolio. Is the 3D stuff more expensive?" And that was a huge huge light bulb moment for me <laughs> totally if the 3d stuff could be more expensive that could change the whole game and for me hypothetically take less time it's gonna take less time, but, <laughs> but no one knows this is a lot's changed but you know I, I guess i was like kind of pushed into it by market forces and there weren't and there weren't that many people doing 3d illustration 
And so then how did you, like, what did your work look like at that point? Like, copies of other people. Right. Like, just, like, garbage, like, uh, asset flips, stu- bad ideas. I feel ideas. like that's how everyone gets into 3D at first, though. Like, I think that's what's cool about it is because it's, like, you're, you can really dip your toe into it from a lot of different angles. Totally. A lot of people like to do the stuff where they're using the, um, like, a software you make a person, you know? It's right. like And you're making them like you would make your character in The Sims. And then you can pose mm. them, and you've made a beautiful piece of art without doing too much. And, like... You can really go as far and in a million different directions with it as you want. Like, like I feel like I've only ever even done like one percent of the things Blender can do, but I have no interest in doing the whole thing. Like, I have no interest at all in being like a technical master. It stresses me out when I start to think about like every possible route you can go down in any of these programs. It's crazy, but that's like that's what's cool about it is no one can do it all. Of course, yeah. Maybe the Australian guy on YouTube can do it. <laughs> he, but he's so annoying. And the flip side is, like, his work is just cringe because there's no ideas in it. But he knows everything. Oh, all right, guys. Well, uh, today we're going to make a realistic ocean simulation. And uh, it's going to have uh, the the bike from Akira is going to be coming out of it. And uh, we're going to make it as an NFT. I'm, a ha- I'm getting it. I'm in hater mode now. You're like, I'm just here for like the three seconds of this video yeah. where you show I'm trying me how to find do. One, I'm trying to find one thing in here. Man, I guess on that though, of learning new things, picking up new skills, what do you feel like the steepest learning curve has been? Technically or just like professionally, emotionally? Okay, this is a good question. This right? is a really good question. <laughs> Thank you. Because you can learn how to do anything. Yeah. If you have an open mind and you're willing to put in the time, there is a tutorial for anything in the world that you want to do. The hard, the absolute, the hardest thing that for me never really gets that much easier though is people stuff, interpersonal stuff. Mm. You know, uh, getting on the same page with people, communicating what you want to do, getting people to trust you with their money, like that's really hard. <laughs> getting people to look at your work and, you know, and making sure that, if someone's paying for it, that they're happy, or that if they're consuming it, that they're happy, or that your work is getting to the right people, like that is the hardest stuff. Uh, I'm like, I'm like, I feel like I've, I'm like one percent learned that as well. <laughs> it's hard. I don't know if the it gets easier, or I also struggle with it. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I, who doesn't? You know. Yeah. It's, people it's are the worst. Like, it's the whole point of it. <laughs> It's the whole point of it, and it's the only thing that's really rewarding. Because following a tutorial or making a lot of money is not really rewarding. You know, touching someone's life or hearing from someone and saying that you made their favorite thing is, like, that's the only reason to do it. I remember the the Jerome Braxton stuff that you, like, were doing together. Is working, like, with other artists? That can be really fraught, especially Mm -hmm. when you know how to do the same things. Like right. my my advice when you're trying to find a collaborator is to find someone who's in a different field from you or has a whole different take on things. Mm. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about like some of the collaborations you've done? Yeah, I'll talk about the collaboration with Jaren because it's a fun one. Mm-hmm. Um, we so Jaren and I met. We both had a short film kind of on the circuit at the same time, so we saw each other at a bunch of festivals in like 2017. And uh, obviously, for anyone that doesn't know his work, he's like the best of all time he's yeah. like the best 3d artist animator working out there his stuff is like so beautiful and insane and moving and like the first time i saw glucose at south by southwest 
there was like a audio issue with it and it was like so loud and it was like <laughs> sh- it, the music was like shaking my body and i cried at, at how beautiful and powerful the film was and so we met after that screening we did q a together and then we kind of hung out for that festival and we were like well let's you know when we get home we're gonna start doing a collab and we spent the whole summer kind of like sending stuff back and forth like playing tennis with each other where it's like what do you think of this file oh i put a little guy in it i changed the pink to purple and it was like it was not really going anywhere it was like we were kind of thinking about doing a short film or a game or something and then this other artist nicole ruggiero emailed me uh and she was putting together a show a group show at vr world and it was going to be all uh all vr based artwork so i i asked her like well how would you feel like what if we did what if we made a 360 video like what if we turned all these assets that we've been throwing back and forth into a four minute 360 degree video and then it like it really started working mm-hmm. like when we had this kind of thing and especially having a deadline it really started working and like we were both rendering it on both of our computers to get it done in time and like it became really fruitful uh and it was great uh and then uh i we, we went to the opening of the show mm-hmm. and i was kind of like hanging around next to the vr headset that it was being shown on and um it was like there was some really fancy vr headsets and then ours and a couple of the other works were being shown on like samsung phones so this one guy like he he's in it for a while he's like really in it for probably longer than the film is <laughs> and he takes the headset off and he turns he's like you made that and i was like oh yeah i mean jeremy he's like i love like I love, like, the rocks and, like, the sky and, like, how detailed it was. And I was like, oh, that means a lot. He was watching the screensaver <laughs> that came with the phone. <laughs> no! Yeah, yeah. All it night. had gone all night. No. I think people had been watching the screensaver. But it was similar enough that I was getting feedback <laughs> It was like a nature scene with a waterfall, and our thing was like a wildlife oh scene. My God. And it was close enough that I was like, oh, by the rocks, you must mean the little purple blobs that I put in there. <laughs> That's great. I'm glad you like that. No matter how much control you try to have over things, you can, you'll never be able to communicate no. exactly anything. In addition to working you know, with other independent animators like Jaron Braxton, um, you've also done a substantial amount of work with some more you know, quote-unquote commercial clients. I think one of my favorite pieces of yours was the clip you did for the gumball episode with the prince. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, you also did a title card for Summer Camp Island and also some micro shorts for Disney. Uh, so what's the process like for working with these, like, media moguls? Um, and how does it differ working with, like, small studios or other independent animators? Uh, yeah, each one of those three projects kind of came about a different way. But I, mm-hmm. I don't treat it any differently from... Uh, just working on something with friends or something like um the disney one was crazy because i was like completely broke i was thinking about giving it up trying to get a job moving back with my parents something and i got an email from someone at disney that was like we've got this new app that we're putting out it's going to be like vine but only with disney content so we want you to make we want you to pitch like some different ideas for like 15 second animation and I just kind of like, I, I was like, there's no way I'm going to get this. I've been rejected from like a hundred things in a row. Like I've lost every pitch I've ever done in my life. And so instead of like trying to guess what they wanted, I just sent them 
I was going to say I sent them three ideas. I actually sent them four ideas. They did reject one of them. <laughs> uh, I sent them just like three things that I had been working on on my own, which were a thing with a cute dog, a thing with a singing witch, and uh, a little slapstick thing that was kind of like the Minions. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, if they don't like any of these, then like, fine, whatever. And they're like, well, we, wanted, we want you to do all three of them. Uh, and so I spent like a whole summer working on it. The one that they rejected was a, like a saucy Howard the Duck reboot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of the one that I think would have been the best. It was yeah. like it's so sad. The idea was, I, it's been so long. I feel like who would care if I talk about we this? Do, wait, I, I want to know. The idea was that Howard the Duck had like a magic iPhone, and he would like, like each app would like do something different to him. Like he would open up the Uber app, and then he would be get hit by a car or something. Like. <laughs> Or he would um, he would open up the Venmo app and it would drain his bank account. Or then so he had like a cursed iPhone from another dimension, and it was little fifteen second shorts of that. And they were like, they didn't even reject it. They just pretended they never saw it. Like they <laughs> pretended that that I had never even brought up the idea. They're like, yeah. So these three ideas look great. Yeah. So the first three, it seems like we cut off after page three of the PDF, but that's great. But, but so like working with these companies, do you feel uh-huh. like you have any less control over what you're doing? Or, I mean, it seems like you've got to pitch and develop your ideas. Yeah, I think, like, because because of the way my kind of practice is set up and because of the way my, you know, presence is set up online, I think anyone that would come to me and ask me for something is hopefully someone who wants to give me, or who wants something that I already know how to do. Right. Because it's all I do know how to do. Um, but it's, I, it's fascinating. I, I don't know. Um... I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize is there's all these people, art directors, producers, art buyers, talent people, and they work really hard to find people, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, I, I kind of feel like it's it's really like, I'm going to let them do their job, you know? Like, I'm going to let them find me if it's meant to happen. And like, hopefully you can end up working with people who know what they want and like, you can find something to do with them. Uh but it's like, you know, there's there's big limits to that, obviously. It's like, there's only so much you can do as one person. There's only so much you can do without getting a bunch of people to have to sign off on it. But yeah, the Disney one was great. And then the Gumball one was great, too, because I met Ben Bacala. He, again, at a film festival, he had seen my short bloop's birthday. And he basically wrote something into the Gumball episode that he thought I would want to animate. Oh, that's like, so cool. Yeah, it was, and it was like, I got boards for it. And I was like, this is so cool, because it's like he like read my mind and he was like yeah I, I had this idea that it would be like a worm and then he would he would go in a pool and then there would be a guy with a little vocaloid voice and i was like oh my god what the fuck i'm so lucky i feel like i won the lottery but uh it's totally different as an indie animator from being someone who maybe like went to cal arts and is in a storyboard department somewhere and is in a big pipeline. Like, I don't even know what that's like. I would never be able to do that. And so I can't, I can't even speak to like how that stuff gets done. All I really know how to do is like put the special sauce on things. (laughs) Yeah. Do you, for, for people listening who might be interested in this world of like independent animation of 3d animation, do you have advice for like getting started specifically in like 3d work just in getting started period with the whole process i think like there's no there's no guarantee 
that you're ever going to have any success or win any awards or get into any festivals or make any money. Like all that stuff is like, again, it's not really up to you. You know, it's up to like jurors at a festival and curators at a blog and the people looking at your work on Instagram. Like the thing that's up to you is how much you love the work and how, how much you want to be doing it. So my advice is don't, don't try to read anyone else's mind. Don't try to follow any trends. Like make the stuff that you know you actually want to be making. And like if you if you even like have this feeling that you maybe want to be an artist or you maybe want to do 3D, you're like a million steps ahead of most people. Because most yeah. people don't even have a feeling of any idea of what they might want to do in life. So just like just go on YouTube.com and type in how to get started. Well, so in addition to like your 3D animated work, your games, you know, everything else, your characters also exist in print. Uh, so could you tell us like a little bit about your printed work, uh, 3D Sweeties, you know, like what the process was like of putting a book together? Oh, and... the book was great. Oh my God. So I had been, since 2015, I had been making comics for this website that doesn't do comics anymore. Uh, and I, I ended up with a, like a hundred of them. And uh, I tweeted, will anyone publish a book of my comics? <laughs> and nobody responded. And then I went and I, I went on Instagram and I waited until the guy from Fantagraphics that I knew had just posted something. Right. And I posted on my story, <laughs> will anyone put out a book of comics that I've written? And he responded right away. I was like, I'll pass this up to the editor. Genius. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Genius. You baited him I, I totally baited him. That's the, that's, I would say that's like the most conniving thing I've ever done. But it's, I think it's like... It paid off. It's important for people to, when you're working with people, for them to feel like... They found you or it was their idea, like... You gotta insult usually, usually it is. <laughs> and this guy, I mean, this guy did find me. He had, like, he was one of the first people to reach out to me when I started doing comics, RJ Casey, and he was super supportive. And he really went to bat for me at Fantagraphics. And he convinced the editor, Eric Reynolds, to put this book out. And then I had never done anything like this, and, and I, I got an email from Eric. was like, you know, what are you thinking for the book? And I, and I wrote him back five minutes later and I said like, oh, I was thinking it could be called 3D Sweeties and it would have these comics in it and maybe it could have just a big face on the cover and nothing else. And I thought we would do like a hundred rounds of revisions. I thought we would try it a hundred covers. Uh, and he was like, okay, sounds good. Let's do it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, sweet. And you're not going to jerk me around just for fun for a year? Okay. <laughs> the comics in 3D Sweeties like, you had all the rights to all those still. Like, that wasn't anything you were doing for anyone else? It was... Some of them had been commissioned by this website, but they had never failed to send over a contract of any kind. Amazing. So, nice. so they were all mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there was... I mean, there was a couple new ones in there, but it was all, like... Um, yeah, it was stuff I had been doing for a few years. Cool. Yeah. And Fantagraphics are phenomenal. Um, like, it was their idea to make the book, like, squishy. Love it. Uh yeah, I, um, and I got to do a book tour, and I got to have oh, some events, and I got to meet a lot of my all-time favorite cartoonists. Oh, this is a little bit of a segue, but you've been spending a lot of time outside Yeah, recently. I have no... Professionally, career-wise, I have no gas in the tank right now. I'm completely fried, so mm -hmm. I'm just... Yeah, I've just been spending a lot of time away yeah. in nature. I was in a cabin all this last week. Great. That sounds lovely. Well, I... It's fucking so much better. 
to do that yeah. than to like work on something. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much better to just like oh look God, at a yeah. tree. Or like <laughs> or like just have water run through your hands. And I've never I never felt that way growing up. I'm not a granola person. I'm coming to it way late. Or I'm like, <laughs> actually all the stuff I'm doing in my life is bullshit. Everything that I cared about before the pandemic, I don't care about anymore. Mm-hmm. You know? I all I care about is trees. <laughs> but so is it then less of like uh, a work-life balance and more just of a, like, the scale is totally... I'm not all the way at life. Yeah. <laughs> all the way at life right yeah. now. That's awesome. I think everyone's going to have to recalibrate, though. You know, um, I think everyone's priority, you know, as as miserable and terrible as this last year has been, I think every, a lot of people have realized what they actually want and what's important to them and what's not important, so... Okay, well, I think we only have one more question, but... Well, I hope it's um, I hope it's the best one. What are you working on now? Um, <sighs> if you can share anything, I'm like what's so, going on in the future? I'm so 50-50 if I can talk about this. Because you can be, you can be incredibly vague. I know, but it's like I really want to talk about it. Because <laughs> it's, like it's like my favorite thing I've ever done. Whoa. It's okay. like my, the oh, best project, the best people. It's, it's the biggest scale I've ever worked on. That's wild. And it's, it's supposed to come out on June 17th. Oh, very soon. soon yeah but okay. i just found out about it by like googling it <laughs> no one's told me about it i'm just gonna wait and not say anything about it cool okay. but i'm also Be excited i just finished uh doing all the illustrations for this picture book with julio torres Ooh. and that is like phenomenal like oh. he's so cool and it's such a good match to be working with him are those all 3d mm-hmm. cool yeah and um i feel I'm, like you don't see a lot of 3d children's books no, there's definitely like a, there's a couple dominant styles in children's books. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I mean, it's not something I ever think about. I'm not a child and I don't have a child. So it's <laughs> like, I'm kind of, I'm like out of the, out of the loop on that. Um, but it's been like, it's been really fun. It's my first like time working with like a big publisher and editor and a book designer and like, uh, yeah, that's going to be really good. It's called, I want to be a vase. Cool. And I think that's going to be oh. out next summer. Whoa. So we got June 17th and then next summer. Hopefully June 17th, but I actually, I don't even know. <laughs> I'm in the dark about this. That's one. just what Google told you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got on it. It was a tweet from the network that I did this project with. Okay. That oh. this new season of the show is coming out and I contributed something to the season. Got it. And I, I fucking, I'm so, I want to talk about it though. But I'll, they'll kill, they'll maybe, kill uh, me. Maybe we'll do a little update episode. A little mini... Uh, a little, like, at the end of the movie like... when they fi- see what... Ha- he died on the way back to <laughs> Brooklyn. <laughs> well, in, like, two weeks, we'll, we'll know. Or we, right? or it won't come out and I'm wrong. That's what I'm really scared of. <laughs> you just saw of. the wrong day. I, I misread or it's, it's like... It's a different season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I mean... Julian, thanks so much. No, thank you guys. This was really, I really needed this. You are listening to Sugar Cube Breakfast, the first track off of Julian Glander's hit album, Antasia, music for my little six-legged friends. The album's Bandcamp page reads... Antasia is the first album recorded just for ants. It is designed and calibrated to resonate at the perfect frequency to help ants as they live, dig, and thrive in an ant farm. 
No human listeners, please. Whoops. Better turn it off now. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Ahead. We'll be back in your feeds next week with more content, so stay tuned. See you next time on On Straight Straight Ahead. Ahead.